This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your host, Senior Financial Advisor Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of Asante Capital Management. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I are going to be discussing maybe it is time to throw in the towel on diversification. Mike read an interesting article by Nick Maguli, and he was talking about having a portfolio that is 100% U.S. stocks. It's a big part of the world. It's got those beautiful companies, the Amazons, the Googles, the Microsofts. Seems like the world is the U.S. nowadays, isn't it? Well, it's interesting. If you look, the U.S. market has outperformed the Canadian stock market and the international market by almost 7% a year for the last 10 years. So if you wanted evidence, and we're evidence-based advisors, that's the evidence. The U.S. continues to outperform. It certainly did in 2023. And we know a lot of that return came from some of the biggest and most successful American-based companies in the world. So Nick's thought was for someone who is, you know, under the age of 45, they should have a really simple strategy of just putting 100% of their investments into the S&P 500. Is Nick based in the U.S.? He is based in the U.S. Yeah. Now, he was also just putting it out there as a discussion point. So he had lots of reasons for and against doing it. But I thought it would be interesting to explore this in a little more detail. The argument actually starts with a few other famous people who've also made that same recommendation. Jack Bogle, Warren Buffett, J.L. Collins have all recommended that investors just put 100% of their portfolio, if they're under the age of 45, mind you, in 100%, the S&P 500, which are the top 500 companies in the U.S., many of which are global companies. But again, those guys all live in the U.S. too, don't they? They all live in the U.S. And as we just talked about, their reasoning is, is this outperformance that seems to continue to exist. And I guess what you and I need to do is to go back and look at some of the data behind it, being evidence-based advisors again, to see if this is a good strategy. Well, U.S. is, I know a lot of us in Canada have complaints about the U.S., but the U.S. is in a lot of ways a, a wonderful place. I mean, from a, if you're a capitalist, the U.S. is is probably the best country in the world to live in. If you have money, you're successful in a capitalist, it gives great opportunity. Also, the U.S., for the people in the U.S., it's an interesting com- country because people always say the U.S. are, are ignorant because they don't travel well. The U.S. is one of the few countries you don't have to travel. Really, if you want to go skiing, you can go skiing. If you want to go lay on a beach, you can go lay on a beach. In Canada, we don't have all those luxuries. We have to go to an island every now and again in the winter. U.S., you can just go to Florida or you can go, if you want to go to Hawaii, it's still part of the U.S. You have lots of options. To you go want to go to. to a big city, you can go there. If you want to go to the Midwest, you can, you can do that. If you want to go to the North, you can go to Minnesota. Yeah. So there's reasons why people are a bit self, let's say, self-absorbed in the U.S. So- Let's look at some of the evidence and and just talk about that. So going back over the last 50 years, so this goes back to 1970, U.S. stocks have outperformed international stocks roughly 
in if we look at long periods of time, 10-year rolling periods. So, you know, you go from 1971 to 1981 and you look at it every month. So we always believe that if the evidence says you're better to do this, then you're better to do this. Well, the evidence says it works 54% of the time, doesn't work 46% of the time. So it's not quite 50-50. There's a little bit of an edge to the U.S. over the international. Is that enough of an edge to move your entire portfolio? As much as you would have thought, is it? If we look at the last 20-year period, it's actually 80% of the time. So over the last 20 years, there's more evidence that the U.S. has done well. But when you do a deeper dive into those returns, it's really that the last 10 years have been so good that made the 20 years look great. And once you take out that 10 years, so let's go backwards. Mike, you and I were working with lots of clients back in 2013. Yep. I remember a lot of clients coming into our office saying, Rob, why are we even in the U.S. market? Their returns have been horrible for 10 years now. It was a lost decade. It was a lost decade. They weren't happy. They didn't want us to allocate money to the U.S. They wanted it all allocated to Canada and international. And it has completely reversed course over the last 10 years. Yeah. It's funny. The justifications at the time make so much sense when they're given. Why would you not invest? Canada banking system is so strong. Why would you not do that? We have oil and gas. We have resources. Why would you not want to be invested in the country with resources? The U.S. is going to have to buy our oil. And things change, right? We, we, were, we thought the U.S. was going to be buying all the oil and gas. Turns out the U.S. is like a net producer of oil and gas now. We never expected that. Back again to you can't predict the future. So let's go back to 2013. If we had looked at that same 10-year rolling periods for going back 40 years in that case, international stocks had actually outperformed U.S. stocks 41% of the time in all rolling periods. So the evidence was that you should have more international. And part of the reason is what's ever happened more recently, i.e. the last 10 years, that has a bigger impact on the data. And that's why the data today appears to show that we should be moving more money into the U.S. What about longer periods? So let's go back to 1926. So that's about as far back as we can go with good data, if we call it. U.S. stocks over 10-year periods have outperformed cash about 83% of the time. That's a stat that's worth investing around, right? 83% is a lot better than 54%. Yep. If I knew that I had an 83% chance of winning the lottery if I bought a ticket tonight versus a 54% chance, yep. which would you buy a lottery I'd ticket at lottery 54? Tickets. Not at 54, but 83, I'd be lined up. So then let's go to the 20-year rolling periods back to 1926. We're coming up almost to 100 years now. 99% of 100-year periods, U.S. stocks outperform treasury bills. You look at any... 20-year period going back over the last almost 100 years, and stocks always come out ahead. So that, that's good evidence that you should be in stocks ahead of cash. Would anyone, what about bonds? Would you be better to be 100% in bonds? Evidence seems to say no. Once again, even against U.S. bonds, which have done better than cash, putting 80% in stocks and 20% in bonds, you would still underperform 100% in stocks. 76% of the time over 10-year periods, 86% of the time over 20-year periods. Mike, do you like those odds of 76 and 86? I'm good with that. Here's another asset class that no one's ever thought of. Well, unless you're a farmer. 
U.S. farmland has actually averaged 9% over the last 32 years. Yeah, it's not a bad result. It's pretty good. Unfortunately, U.S. stocks have, have earned over 10% over that same 32-year period. So once again, U.S. stocks seem to come out further ahead. I always remember one of my the best illustrations I saw was it it showed real estate and it went back, I think it was 1920s or 30s, and it showed CIBC's head office and when it started off and gave the valuation of the CIBC head office. And again, at that time, it was probably thirty or $40,000. And they showed the land over time and how much it was worth. It was probably worth about you know, $20 million or $25 million. So it looks like a great return. But then they looked and said, if you bought CIC, CIBC stock at the same time, and it was literally dwarfed the gain on the real estate, the side of the stock. So, you know, real estate's been good, but over time, the the how returns work on the stock market can well outperform that. Let's look at some more reasons to own U.S. stocks. If we look at just the S&P 500, which are the top 500 companies in the U.S., about 40% of their revenue or their sales actually come from outside the U.S. So you think you're investing in U.S. companies, you're actually really investing in 60% U.S. companies and 40% international. So more people in the world use Apple and Microsoft? Absolutely. The U.S. stock market is much more diversified than our Canadian market, our Norwegian market, than our North American or North Korean stock market. Basically, any stock market in the world, the U.S. market is much better diversified. It has a real nice balance between different sectors, whether it's financials, technology, materials, consumer, you name it, the U.S. has got it. Whereas every other country in the world seems to have specialties, things they're good at and things they're not very good at. You'd be very hard pressed to wake up in the morning and not use a product made by a U.S. company over your day. And I always say this, by the time you brush your teeth, it's probably owned by Colgate or Palmolive or Johnson & Johnson in there. And as soon as you turn on a computer, I guarantee it's going to have an Intel ship chip inside it. And it's either going to be an Apple or a Microsoft product, product that's related. You're, you're looking at. Yeah. So, so it's pretty hard to get through a day without supporting a U.S.-based company. In terms of technology, 26% of the U.S. stock market is in technology. So if, you're, if you really want technology in your portfolio, the U.S. is a great place to start. Let's touch on a few reasons why you don't want to be 100% in U.S. stocks. And I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast about 2013. And if we had looked back from 2013 to 2003, we call it the lost decade. Certainly for the U.S. market, it was. Imagine if you were 100% U.S. stocks and you hit the lost decade, are you likely to be able to keep your position in the driver's seat? Be very difficult. And the other pressure that happens on it too is you got to always have a home bias tilt on your portfolio. Because if you're going through a lost decade in the U.S. and let's say Canada were close, so we're going to be you know, we'll be affected by the U.S., so it's not as relevant as other countries, but your country could be in a very good situation and your cost of living is going up exponentially and your investments are on in a country that's suffering and no one's going to feel very sorry for you because your cost of living is going up, but your portfolio is not keeping up with it. We always talk about the neighbors. If your neighbor's portfolios are doing better than yours, 
you're going to want to change your portfolio. So taking a position of 100% U.S. stocks, that'd be tough to do. I always think about, you know, use the comparison of, you know, when you're driving in traffic, which is something we do in, in the city of Toronto. If I'm in a lane that doesn't appear to be moving in the lane beside me, I can hang, I can hang out for five minutes. At best, I can hang out for 10 minutes. I can't hang out for 40 minutes. Yeah. I can't. I'm moving into that faster lane. Even though I know it's the wrong move, I eventually just give up. I assume there's something up ahead that I can't see, and, 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 and I must move to that lane so I can get around whatever I can't see. Investing's the exact same. If you've underperformed for 10 years, yeah. you're making a move. Toronto's ranked number three in the world on worst traffic. I read that stat the other day. So us Toronto drivers are probably pretty good at changing lanes, is yep. my assumption. Or maybe we're not very good at it. Let's talk about market corrections. So going back to 100 years of data, there's been market corrections all over the world. But if we look at if you were just in the U.S. alone, you've had lots of 30% market corrections, a few 40% corrections, and even a couple of 50% market corrections. So if you had a million dollars and it dropped down to $500,000 and you're still 100% in U.S. stocks, are you staying in your chair? Probably not. Mike, we've worked with hundreds of investors over the years. We know they don't stay in their chair. It's funny. Every now and again, when we go through, we do something with clients called Lifeboat Drill. It looks at historical market corrections. And during some of the worst corrections in the U.S. back in the 70s, portfolios were saved by Canada. Because at that time, remember, oil prices were going through the roof. And when the U.S. was suffering at that time from the oil prices basically stymieing their whole economy, Canada was profiting from high oil prices. So you can see in those lifeboat drills that we do, Canada was really a big part of making us through that decade. Let's talk about, we know the U.S. stock market has been a great place to be. Doesn't matter what time period we're looking at. The ability to stay 100% in one stock market over the course of your investing time, which may be 30 or 40 years, is really difficult. So what do we do as advisors to try and capture a lot of that great returns from the U.S. market, but allow people to reach their financial goals? How are we, what, what tools do we use, Mike? What are the most important things that we do? Diversica diversification is the best thing we can do. And, you know, you got to keep an open mind. You got to not be, people have tunnel vision about what they're currently seeing happen on the marketplace. And they have tunnel vision about where they currently live. And remember, everyone thinks wherever they live is the world is centered around. And we think that being in Canada, U.S. thinks that in the U.S. And if you go back to the 1980s, you know who thought that? Japan. And if you watch the Japanese market during the 80s, it's never recovered, right? And that was the strongest, at one point, that was the biggest stock market in the world and fell apart. So you got to remember every, every great, every great, let's say market will come to its harsh points. I don't believe the U.S. would do like Japan did. I don't think that's in the future of the U.S. I think it's too well diversified in there, but you have to be a bit cautious. And as you said, most people don't have the stomach to make it through those long periods. When we talk to real investors, when they talk about time horizons, you know, investments like to work on 10, 20 year time horizons. I tell you from experience dealing with people, 
people don't have 10 or 20 year time horizons to judge their investment results. They might have 10 or 20 year time horizons in their retirement and their life to go on. But as far as judging if they're in the right investment, it's too hard to get them to do. Most will give you three years. Some will give you five years. Very few will give you 10 years. And I don't blame them. After 10 years, what if you were wrong, right? It's very hard to fix. So we've solved this a little bit for our clients. Number one, we focus on diversification. We focus on asset allocation, putting the assets in the right places, what we call asset location. Even though we know the U.S. market's been great, we still have lots of money invested in Canada and lots of money invested in the international and emerging markets and real estate. And the final thing we do is we're constantly reviewing our clients' risk tolerance. How much can they handle? Could they handle a 100% stock portfolio? Not, ma- not many can. And we've increased U.S. exposure over the past you know, five years. And the reality is U.S. has become a bigger part of the world. So we've adjusted portfolios accordingly. And we'll continue to do that so you don't just close your eyes and ignore what goes on. You do have to make adjustments, but you don't make, you don't make time and decisions based on anything like that. So remember, there's three things that are going to determine the success of your total financial plan. Number one is probably your career. If you've got a good career, are you getting regular pay increases? That's going to help tremendously. Number two, and this is a big one, financial behavior. Are you changing lanes too often? And finally, your desired lifestyle. Are you going to be able to live within your means? I think that, Mike, is a a good way to end today's discussion. I know one of our upcoming podcasts, we're going to talk about different desired lifestyles. You're going to be talking about spendthrifts and... Spendthrifts and tightwads. Tightwads. Great book. So it's going to be an interesting discussion, Mike. I'll give credit to the author in that. There's a great author that did that. And our, our our next podcast, we'll discuss that. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob and Mike with Think Smart from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management, reminding you to subscribe so that we can have your best retirement ever. been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.